Hey everybody, welcome to episode 145 of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by Ellie Barron and Russell Wilson of homeworking expert company Sonso. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much for, for coming on Get Out of Rap. Thanks. Where, where, when did you start in the industry? So I started in the industry back when I was about 18. I started in a call center working for a bank and I loved it. I made like the best friends in that environment. And then I left that after a while, a, a long stint of, I think it was about four years. And then I went into nannying and then I just came back into it by joining Sonsei. We've had like the best fun so far. So, yeah. And when you took that first job at the, at the bank at, at 18, what were the sort of factors that made you decide to choose? Did you know it was going to be on the phones? Yeah, I knew it would be on the phones. And I think for me, I'm such a naturally chatty person anyway. So I was just like, yeah, that's perfect for me. Very bright, loud, 18-year-old, loved it. And I think because I had friends who worked in there previously, I knew that it was a good place to make friends as well. So it was kind of all elements of what I would wanted to do. So... And was it, did you, was it any of it like a, a shock to the system or because of your friends, did you kind of have an idea, look, there's going to be, not all customers go are going to love talking? It felt like a very micromanaged environment. I found having the manager sat sort of at the end with the long desk watching you if you're on hold or if, you know, you're in wrap, it's, it's quite difficult to feel comfortable in that role, mm -hmm. I find. So, so that was the only kind of negative for me in that environment. And that must have put you in good stead for now, because now you're, is it team leader, team manager? What's your terminology at Sonsei? Team leader. Yeah. So now yeah. as team leader, those experiences, do they, 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 you kind of use them in how you manage now? Massively, massively. I think as well, a lot of people do have that call center mindset coming into a job like Sonsei, and it takes a while for them to kind of shift out of it. Like, it's Okay. You can breathe, you're fine, don't worry. So yeah, I think that's quite a common thing that I see within my team is to see people kind of, if they're on, on hold with a customer, they'll kind of explain it for the first couple of weeks and then they naturally get used to that. It's okay to just take your time. Definitely. An element of trust as well, isn't there? These people are employees. Yeah. We employ our people, we trust them to do the right thing. And of course we've got systems and metrics to measure them right, but we trust them. Fundamentally, yeah. that's, you know, they do a good job. We trust them to do the right things. That was the word that was just foremost in my mind was trust yeah. that there is this kind of, and it, it's led to the perception of the industry that we're, that from a management point of view, you're all over everyone. You're managing their KPIs. You're sat next to them. You're in, interrupting on calls. You're, you're, you're right there. And actually there's a couple of things. There's a, there's a study that says people, when they feel like they're being overly observed, do not behave naturally, do not perform yeah. at their, at their best. Absolutely. And when you were talking about that kind of in-person management as a contrast to how you manage now, trust was the word that came into my mind straight away, Russell, that you kind of, your whole, the whole basis of what you're doing is letting people do the job. And you can see based on all the outputs, whether they're doing a good job or whether they need some support or not, rather than just being sort of stood behind what you know now yeah i think i think as well that that shows covid because so many organizations trusted their people to work at home during covid because they had to 
Then you see them all bringing them back in the office now. And it's like, I, if that was happening to me personally, I'd be like, do you not trust me now? You know, I was, it was good enough for two years when I had to work at home to keep the organization going, but now you want me back in the office. Why? What's the value that's being added to bringing people back into the office? I know a lot of people that are being forced to go back in and aren't particularly happy about it. So yeah, of course there's, there's up, there's collaboration and there's team ethics and things like that, that it can be going to bring in a bricks and mortar, but did it for two years or in COVID and, and it worked, you know, not many organizations or contact centers failed during that period. So. Yeah, I think, I think this uses an excuse to bring, bring people back in and micromanage into Ellie's terminology earlier. That's, that's what they, they want to do. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because as, as individual frontline team members, they've evolved during the pandemic, but then it, if they're asked to come back, there's lots and lots of people saying that the management has reverted back yeah. to that kind of more more micromanagement rather than going hey we did survive we did do okay we trusted you we let you get on with it we don't need to kind of manage you to the minutiae we don't need to kind of go be up all in your grill and so that kind of oh before we talk about how you manage now Ellie I'm just really your journey then so you left the industry and then did nannying yeah and then coming back to Sonsei, I imagine is quite not common, but I imagine is Sonsei have always struck me that as a company can get people that have maybe had some experience, but now they want to do the same type of work, but they don't necessarily want to come into a a contact center. Was that part of your decision making when you came back? Yeah, I think for me, I wanted something where obviously with the pandemic, we get comfortable in our little safe bubble of home and I think I wanted something where I could have the flexibility to be able to come and go as I needed to but also still make those steps in my career plan for myself and I do find that in a bricks and mortar environment that it was harder to progress so with Sonsei I started I think it was around July no it was around May and then a few months in I then got the position to be a team leader so there was a lot of trust that I'd built with my manager to be able to put me forward for that so I think, yeah, that massively did play a factor into why I wanted to come back into it. Because I think as everyone does, but when you see something that's offered that's, you know, flexibility and be able to to do whatever schedule you'd like to do within reason with the client, it's sometimes feeling a little bit too good to be true once you've had that experience. But you soon see that it is, you know, it is the way of just sort of saying it's, it's like something that I've not really ever experienced at all in this kind of environment that's fascinating there was so there was moments where you're thinking hang on is this a trap i did <laughs> did a lot of reviewing and i just wanted to make sure that you know i wasn't signing up i think i said in my interview i was like okay so i pick my own time i can you know let my manager know if i can't work this day and i book it all myself yeah absolutely so it does get it takes a little while to get comfortable but as soon as you're settled so Russell, there's people thinking, there must be a catch. Do I have to sign up to say that I support Tottenham or something? <laughs> it's not that bad, Barty. Yeah, no. Listen, my, we work on a micro-scheduling basis. So it's self-selection. The hours get released to the home agents. Then they go in for a half an hour segments across the profile across the week, and they'll choose the, the shifts that they want to work up to their contracted hours, which can be anywhere, depending on the line of business, from 20 to 40, flex according to that. 
Now I go into every training group and I say to every training group I go into, this is flexible. It can work for you. Takes a bit of getting used to, as Ellie said, you're never going to get a hundred percent of the shifts that you want. Okay. Cause in reality, you've got people going in and choosing shifts. So you're never going to get perfect pattern, but if you get 70% of what you want, it's excellent because you've got, you've got that, we call it life work balance where you can, you can fit, fit things around your world, you know? So if you need to do the school work, you can work on that. If you've got, if you're a, a gym person, you want to go to the gym every morning, you can choose a later shift. And if you're a night walker and you don't, don't want to get up in the morning, you can choose late. It gives you the flexibility to fit around your lifestyle. There are going to be shifts that you don't particularly want. And you're going to have to take the rough with the smooth, but 70% of your shifts is, is generally what people get. And that gives you so much more flexibility than you'd have if you were, first of all, driving into a contact center. If you think of the old shift patterns across the days, yeah, it might have been a bit of flexibility, but if you start at eight, finish at four, nine, five, ten, six, something along those lines, you know, you can go in, do three hours, <clears throat> go away, go to the gym, go to take your dog out for a walk, come back an hour later, do another hour before you do the school work. You can make it fit around your lifestyle. And that's where some say is a, is a huge success and where, um, people's lives and the Sonse world fit together. And that's where, where it really, really is a success for the people, but it's good. And did that then Ellie kind of take some getting used to, or did you sort of just flourish with it straight away? I didn't flourish with it straight away, but <laughs> definitely just take some getting used to. I think the the term that we use for booking hours is fast as fingers fast. So it's all released at kind of the same time for the account. So it's a very fair process for hours, but sometimes I wasn't the fastest all the time. So I think you kind of just take it as it comes. Um, and also just having that time of being in work mode and then being able to step out. I never really had that, especially with being a nanny, when you've got babies around you and stuff like that, it's, you know, it's 24-7 really. So having that ability to kind of, be in work, get what I needed to be done, and then go and take a breather. It was like I almost felt, like, oh, my manager's going to call me and say, "Hi, what are you doing?" And I'm going to be out. It was quite a weird concept, but now it's just the flexibility. I mean, it improves every area of your life once you have that. Like Russell said, the life-work balance rather than work becoming the sole focus of your life. Not me personally, but you better sleep. Brains and the ideas behind our our technology, and he's working on on a concept to make it better for people when they're booking hours. So you get you can not choose your hours in advance, but it, it will take a preference and it will start to schedule for you, and then you choose a percentage around that. So he's working on on some enhancements to our systems that will just make that fastest thing first less of a less of a deal breaker really, and it just becomes easier for people to book their shifts. But as Ellie said, we. People get it after a couple of weeks of doing it. And, you know, your, your yeah. schedule gets released every week. You've got 1,500 agents across different lines of business. They're not all bidding for the same nine to five shifts. They're all, you know, and, you know, they get it. And we've also, you know, if, if you don't get it, and I say this to the training group, it's people to support you, whether that's your team leader, you know, me or service delivery manager, whoever, they'll help you. You know, so if you really do get stuck, go and see them. You know, we're a people first organization. So, we, we can help you, you know, we put you first and we'll, we'll help you, you know, change your shifts. Shifts has always been people shifts, like any context center. So things change. We need to do that. So, you know, we help people do that. I think that people first approach is evidence then just by how you're saying you're looking to develop that shift, but also with 
the business expectations around the percentage i love that just kind of saying if you can meet as we're 70% of the time you'll get what you want 30% it might not be your ideal i think people will absolutely well do people appreciate that ellie 100% especially with what russell said about then if they if they get you know perhaps stuck or if they're on holiday and they can't book their shifts for the next following weeks it's it's a very quick process to be able to go in and, and help them and i think because they're so used to having to be on like a set schedule it's like quite refreshing for them as well to have that approach so yeah that's massively appreciated across all teams we are, we've just launched some home agent surveys which are weekly well, as a weekly and a month, monthly version so we revamped the questions probably about two months ago and one of the questions in there is percentage of your shifts did you get this week you know or, or the percentage of shifts you want, wanted percentage of what you got and it's, it comes in around 75% most weeks. It's, it's pretty, pretty static. People are definitely, listen, there will be some people coming at 60, perhaps, and some are coming at 80, but as an average across, you know, over a thousand people, that's, that's pretty decent. So Ellie, you were on the phones for, did you say four months? I, I think it was around three or four. Yeah. You went for a team leader. When I, when I was in my training group, I remember with Russell saying he comes into training groups, I remember the first question because we did like a bit of a Q&A with Russell, which was nice as well because, again, bricks and mortar, you don't have that kind of contact time with people mm. higher up. So, so I think one of the first questions to Russell was, what's your job and how did you get there? And I wanted to know the complete progression of his whole career plan. So, yeah, I was on the phone for, I think, three to four months and then I'm just keen being i'm ready to go i think once you've had that experience before as well when you come mm. back into it you want to do it right you, you've learned from the mistakes that you've made probably in the past so so thanks to ellie here we were able to jump into russell's career it's a long one but so i spent you know i've been 20 years in financial services contact centers type roles i worked in an insurance broker for 10 years or 11 years my first job was writing cover notes paper cover notes that's how old i am pardon with a quill yes with a quill with my yeah i was dipping in and then we went on i went on to work as a team leader in a different organization it's an insurance company rather than a broker and then i went team leader did i go contact center manager ops manager head of direct insurance Head of contact centers, and then I went on to a head of operations for a financial services company, and then I ended up at Sonsite for the last twelve months. So I've done, you know, there's nothing better than starting on the phones, in my opinion. I did a lot of years on the phones, good fun, and back to Eddie's point, there's nothing social than a contact that, you know, in your younger years, it's, you know, some of the best years of your life. Yeah, really good fun up, and and there's a lot of stigma. You know, you talk to people and they go, "Oh, you work in a contact center." All the blokes from Wales, they always go, no, that's not how it works. You know, yeah. it's, it's a great career, you know, a great career path for people. And I think good organizations have a career path mapped out, good people. And so it's awesome. definitely a promotion from within approach and lots of opportunities, not just in Sonsen, in lots of contact centers. I think it provides a great career for people. And yeah, I've spent 20 years in it. So it's done me well. And we actually met, didn't we, across the table doing judging many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So fortunately, um, I, I do judging for the contact, UK Contact Central Awards and the European, like you, Martin, and just part of the CCMA and, you know, fantastic opportunities to go and see best contact centers and meet great people. 
you know, a load of people that I'm good friends with, or, you know, I need ideas. I send them a message and, you know, it's a really, a contact center is a really open environment for sharing great ideas. Um, and you don't often see that in other, in other sectors. So, you know, we are, you know, I can go to a retail contact center and I can ask them about something, you know, for an insurance world and not competitors. It's not like I'm, I'm stealing their IP and their rating or stuff like that. It's just about how you serve your customers well and how you treat people well. And I think if you get that right, you, you're not far away from great contact centers. Yeah, very, very true. I couldn't agree more. So Ellie, four months in, you go for the, you go for the, was it like an assessment center? No, no. So all, all at home. So I didn't have to go anywhere. So what, what, what happened with that was I would have a meeting. I think I had an interview. The first part of the interview, which was just to get to know me, what history do I have? And then it was then like a role play. And then I was luckily selected. Role playing competency based questions. So you get the job and how many people were you initially responsible for? Initially responsible for 31. We, we were quite a new account when we launched. So I had 31 newbies, which was throw yourself in L, you'll do fine. And I learned a lot through that experience. And now I think I have about 14, 15. So yeah, half. Now we've got an, another lovely team leader that's joined. Well, like, like Russell, I, I spent a good few years on the phone and then was, then was team leader and initially was an absolute disaster, if I'm honest, when I, when I first became team leader, cause I, I made the mistake of thinking my team was 15 miniature versions of, of me. So yeah. how I communicated, how I motivated. And then when they, when they didn't respond or not all of them responded, most of them didn't respond the way I wanted to. I was, I was stuck. I was thinking, oh, what am I, what am I going to do? But that was with 15. I think if you, for 31, how did you, how did you approach that? I've learned a lot. Martin, I definitely have learned a lot. I think I had a great support system with the other team leaders. So I wasn't completely on my own thrown in. And because, you know, I'm a new team leader, so this is also quite very new to me. I think you kind of, it, it's, the, it's the same element of trust. You kind of learn how people are, especially when you work virtually. You're stepping into their home each time you're communicating with them. So yeah. I think each time that I was you know, doing handles and, and getting to know everyone, you'd kind of just use those people skills to kind of see how people would like to be approached. But the support that I had from now my SDM and the other team leaders, it was a very much let's all chip in and give advice where, where possible. And I was asking a lot of questions. So I think that's the most important thing. And he was a, a team leader on a, on a brand new account, which only went live, mm. I think it was around January this year. So it was in the ramp up phase. So we had a lot of people going through training programs. So yeah, there was, there was a lot of support that we put in through their graduation base, uh, not just from our side of things, but obviously the, the line of business that Ellie works on with some of their SMEs in there supporting as well. So very much, it was quite overloaded from a, from a people point of view from 31. That's not how we normally operate, but as we were going through that ramp up phase, it was, it was yeah. definitely a bit overloaded to get SME support, but Ellie's, yeah, Ellie's, she's done exceptionally well. Time. And especially on the line of business that you work on, it's actually it's customer relations, which is one of the seem a bit more tricky than the standard sales and service or something on those lines. So yeah, you've done very, very well in a short space of time. Thank you. It was also great to have that previous experience as an agent because then they were coming to me as if, you know, 
how did you feel when this happened in training? Or did you find that the training, you know, felt like this? Or it was it was a good environment to kind of just be people learning. And I was very open at the beginning, but I'm learning as well as you. So let's all kind of get to one goal, just settling and getting comfortable on the account altogether. I think that's really true. I think that kind of, it's sharing a vulnerability with your team as well around let's learn together. And I think sometimes new team leaders make the mistake of thinking that somehow they have to know everything and admitting that they, do, that they don't is a weakness when in fact it's a strength. It brings your team closer to you by saying, look, I don't know, but let's find out together because it'll be good for all of us. That So now with 14 and 15, the makeup of your team, are there, is it a mixture of people that are brand new to homeworking and some that are experienced? Yeah. Yeah, we've got a mix of both. So we've got people that, you know, have always been in the environment of whether it's working in retail or working in other bricks and mortar environments. And then we have people over the pandemic who who would work for perhaps like the, the NHS when they were doing um, track and trace and stuff like that. So it kind of eased people in a little bit. But for the people who found it completely new, it, you could tell that it was a bit like, oh my God, what's going on? But it's nice to see them settle now. I think a lot of my team, they are very settled and comfortable. And we've had that time of getting to know each other and get comfortable. So it's it's good to see the, the difference, the shift in them. So based on your experiences of being an agent in a bricks and mortar, bricks and mortimer, bricks and mortar <laughs> complex center <laughs> to now, what's... What what's a standard day like? How do you interact with your team? Maybe you can just talk us through the the day that you have. Yeah, I think for me, my schedule has been quite flexible. So what I will do a week in advance is always check when the majority of my own team is on shift and when they start. I always like to start with them. So I would do that week before, and then we would do huddles at the start of the week. Get to know, you know, how everyone's weekend was, how everyone's feeling. I think for me, the biggest importance and within Sponsor is the use of webcams, being able to see how people are rather than just having it virtually type in. Anyone can say anything, can't they? So I think having webcams on and just be crazy and getting everyone energized throughout the week. And then we'll do weekly coaching sessions with each agent. So I've got a lovely DTL. He will take on half the team and then we'll alternate throughout the week and throughout the month. You must have great observations or people skills about being able to, if you're in a huddle, maybe get a sense. Because people always talk about, oh, well, if you've got home, if you've got people at home, how can you tell from a body language point of view? You can just tell sometimes when someone's not quite there. But I imagine that what you're saying then is you can still do that through the, the use of a webcam and you can tell if someone's not quite on it. Yeah, definitely. Straight away from the beginning as well, before I even kind of knew the my team. I think it's just just being human and just being treating people how they want to be treated and then also seeing how they respond as well. You can always tell when someone's feeling a bit, you know, low, their posture's a bit low or they're wearing their pajamas maybe or you know. You can tell with the environment as well, with having a background, it's just nice to see people when they're, you know, feeling their best. Can definitely tell. I think one of the key things is about the issue. You know, we talked about trust, we talked about getting to know people and making decisions. 
just be a human about it. And if you see someone's a bit low, you're not going to talk, don't, you're not going to talk to me in front of the group, you just, you know, mm. follow up with them, find out what's going on. And whether that's in bricks and mortar or, or, or at home and you're having that webcam conversation, it's just about being human. And, you know, if I pick up the phone to, to my mom and I phone her up, I can tell in her voice that she's not quite at it, you know, and you just say, oh, okay, well, I, you have that same sort of feeling, you know, especially when you get to know your team, you know, their personalities and you, you know, what, what good looks like for them and you know, the vibe in their voice and the energy. And if they haven't got that one day, just, just make sure you keep an eye on it. Same as you would in a context, you know, just, you go and have a touch point with them, go and see them. We, we do exactly the same from home. Just, yeah. just put a slot in, go and talk to them. We use our live desk, which is kind of a hub to keep us all together. We use that to have, you know, individual conversations, group conversations. So. I think it's just having those points of contact. And that doesn't matter if that's any talk to a team, me to an affinity manager, that's to give you to talk to team leaders. It's the same. It's having those good contact points on a frequent basis with the team. And Ellie, as a team leader, has to organize her life a little bit around her team because they'll pick shifts <clears throat> all over the spot. So she needs to make sure that her, her world kind of revolves around them a little bit. Um, of course, there's lots of overlaps and they're able to do that, but. Yeah, that's, you need to be flexible as you normally do. And I think that's just the approach you have to take. And we said, yeah, just to touch on as far with, with the overlaps and me kind of moving my, my schedule to fit them. When I'm not in, Live Desk is such an important and integral part of that because we'll have hosts on Live Desk who will be looking after everyone on the Live Desk. We'll have floor walkers to be able to answer any of their questions to do with the, the account. Um, so even when I'm not in, they still have that regular support and that contact time if they need it. So yeah, Live Desk is, is very much integral to that process. And is that the equivalent then? Because I, I imagine this is a question you get off quite often is how, what's your equivalent of an agent putting their hand up and going, help me? Is it, is it through Live Desk? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, I mean, the Live Desk, there's lots of functionality within it, but from a, a referral point of view, you see someone down the end with a hand up, team leader goes, it's got scuttling down the office to go and help. Live desk, you type it in, you, you know, you could deal with, like, it, like you would on a web chat, you look three and four at the same time. So you can deal with all the conversations, all the conversations with groups, with tag, et cetera, there's, there's loads of stuff. You talk to Steve about live desk, he talked to you for hours about it. It's, 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 it's brilliant. That's just one, one part of it, but that's where people get their help and their support from it. And it can be taken out live desk into a one-to-one -one conversation, teams into it, you talk face-to-face. So yeah, but that's your, your hands up view for live desk gives you that. Not even just for, for questions with the account as well. So we also have a function, which is like a mood meter. So for all of the agents, it's very much blank. It's just, they just see the color change, but so the management, we can see who is scored. It's kind of about 10. They will score their mood out of 10. I think it refreshes every hour, two hours. So we can always have a visual of how they're feeling. And it's almost yeah. like reading the room in a bricks and mortar environment. You're just reading the room virtually, which I love that tool. It's great. That's amazing. So based on that, then you might go, do you know what? I need to check in on yeah. Russell. Yeah. He's probably low mood anyway because of Tottenham scores. But On a Monday, absolutely. <laughs> But you would you would see a low score and go, right, I've got to make sure I check in on this person. Yeah. And it's also about the way that you approach it as well. I would never go in and go, you scored a two, because I think that would then make them think, I'm never doing that again. So I think it's just yeah. checking in, 
being a human and just saying like, hello, just checking in, how you doing? Similar to how you would if you just went to go and grab a coffee at the coffee machine. It's, mm-hmm. you, we would emulate that virtually by doing that with that knowledge. So it, it all goes hand in hand. I'm getting this impression that I think your the emotional intelligence levels that you and your other team leader peers must have must be really, really high to be able to kind of navigate and sense all that and think, right, like you said, like you said just then, the temptation must be to intervene when in fact you go, okay, I'm going to take, take a moment, make it natural, think about the right time to talk to this person, but I'm just going to keep, keep an eye on them. Yeah. Uh, that, and I guess this is again, to reiterate your point about people first, you know, this kind of human human approach we might not be sat next to each other but we we can still we're still going to exhibit and have to go over and above probably that kind of care for each other yeah yeah it definitely is definitely is i think it's easier to just kind of you know if you're a tactile person and office like are you okay how are you getting on whereas yeah bringing that into a virtual environment it, it sometimes can be especially as a new team leader you learn by making those mistakes of going school to two so it's easy to kind of find your feet with that i find and in for coaching sessions russell you said frequency and ellie i imagine it's by being consistent and turning up and doing coaching sessions it helps people who maybe at first are they a bit it doesn't quite feel natural to do a coaching session virtually but yeah. then the, the more that you do it the more that people are far more relaxed. I think we all kind of saw that in the pandemic after the initial, oh, isn't this exciting that we're all going to, you know, there's a novelty factor. Then when that wore off, I certainly found there were some of my team who were less comfortable initially doing coaching sessions through this kind of medium. Do, Do you just have to kind of trust in your process, trust in your support and your technology and just keep going? Definitely. I think for me, because, because we're stepping into their home and their office at Mm. home, they feel comfortable and safe at home. But then it's kind of like that. It's like someone coming in going, how are you getting on with your work? How are you doing? Are you all right? It is uncomfortable for the first couple of times. And it's, it's easy to kind of settle them in. It's just, how are you doing? How are you finding this? It's all a bit strange, isn't it? If you've not done it before and just having that approach of, yeah, it's a a bit bizarre but you're doing well you're calling your customers you you know your whole time's got really well or whatever your kpis are on your account they it eases them in and i think as i'm talking about work around obviously in an official you shut the door and you're you're away from your family home but you're still in mm-hmm. that environment so that can also be a factor as well yeah i think from certainly when i do one-to-one should my my line my line reports i mean i always open up how you doing What's going on? You know, it's more of a, sometimes you spend the whole, the whole time just talking about life rather than work. And that's also important as well. You know, we do have bits that we have to cover off, of course, but if you don't get to them in that session, we have to make sure that we've got that personal our conversations as well. So it's not straight in, right, KPIs, da, 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 da. It's how you're doing. And you need that, that engagement. And to your point, we don't measure their emotional intelligence, but yeah, our team leaders are great. You know, they're real people, people, people. So they, and they have yeah. to be in, in, in our virtual world. So I think it's really important to have that and also human side, but the human elements of conversation, yeah. you have to be a person first and a manager second.
I imagine as well, Ellie, you have to be super organized around your calendar, everything. Definitely, definitely, which is a very good skill to learn in life. It is one that, you know, I feel like I'm forever evolving with my organizational skills, but I think you just got to roll with the challenges that, that may come up or changes in your schedule as long as you're prioritizing your time and your people first. That's what will make you a great team leader and then everything else will fall into place. Do you have some of the maybe misperceptions then about having a totally at, at home workforce around how I'll, I'll just throw one at you now is like, how, how do you recreate that team culture of everyone sort of having a laugh together? Do you, do you have that set in the week or what do you do? Yeah. So that would be in our weekly huddles. So it depends if over Christmas we have we have like a whole engagement focus on let's share baking ideas. Let's dress up everyone's pets and vote for the best one. You can always bring that element in to a virtual world. We do things like polls and, and see how people want to, you know, what topic do they want to talk about in huddles and stuff like that. So you can always bring that in. And the engagement side of things, I think people enjoy a lot more because it's something that's not work focused, but also still including you in that work. We also have uh, in like live desk. So live desk is a function for work and the questions, but also we also have social channels again, where people just come on and talk about how bad Spurs have been this weekend. That you know, it's 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 just like the conversation you'd have with a guy next door. You have them online, you know, and they can they can take yeah, individual chats away if they want to. But there's a social channel of all of our all of our live desk for people to engage as a team, and it's one of the things that shocked me was how much. You know, when I come to Solsay, I'm used to managing virtual teams across various parts of the UK, but they're all centralized. They're all, you know, you could bring them in together. No problem. Yeah. We want to meet in Chesterfield, one of my old sites. You just come into the office and we do it all together. They don't do that, I'm saying, you know, but, but they are a team and it was, it was quite, it was really refreshing when I joined. I remember my first meeting, there were with someone down in Devon, someone in Wales, someone in Scotland, someone in Northern Ireland, someone else was in Norwich and it, but it didn't feel like that. Mm. And, and, and I was kind of stepping into this world thinking, oh, it's going to be a bit odd, but it wasn't. Mm. They just, it really works. And, and when I go into the training groups, they're like little families in training. They get so close to being that training environment. It, they kind of split them up into their team sometimes. And oh my God, I'm not with Johnny anymore, but they soon become part of that other team and they make real efforts to make them, you know, through the onboarding and the training process team leader and team gets involved to make them part of it. But. Yeah, it doesn't take them on to that. And I was quite surprised at that when I joined. It, it, it's just a culture of, of being a, a team. You know, even though we're virtual, we don't let anything step, get in the way of us doing what you'd normally do in a contact center just because we're virtual. And actually, I think sometimes we do better, but we don't let any of the, the distance get in the way. Yeah. It, it, it's surprising to me. It's really good. I imagine as well, Ellie, that you have to be really, as well as organized, but you have to be creative. So you can, yeah. you can utilize your team and their ideas, but you must always be thinking, right, what am I going to be doing in the next huddle and the next huddle? Because yeah. again, if you think about our own, everyone else's experiences in the pandemic, lockdown one, everyone's playing bingo. You're talk, you're talking to your family, you're doing quizzes. Lockdown two or three, you're like, oh, do you want to play bingo with the family? No, I do not. <laughs> Stop baking banana bread. It definitely is that. It is always thinking and always trying to evolve with the team. 
I think as well, you kind of base it around what their likes and dislikes are as well. So it's all collaborative. It's, it's not just, you know, one idea and we run with it. It's always chops and changes as, as people up and change in life. So yeah, it is, you always have to be, you know, forward thinking. I imagine as well that you have to be, you have to be so sensitive to being inclusive so (laughs) that if, and I'm trying to think here now about, I can remember, (laughs) and we've probably done it today, me and Russell, but I remember being told by a a team member that a lot of the chat or anecdotes that I used were football based and that excluded some people in the team that didn't like football. But because I was kind of in my moment talking to the team, I didn't even really notice that. Whereas if they were on a screen and I could see them all, I could tell whether what I was saying was was hitting the mark or not. So you have to be really sensitive to people, to including everyone in your yeah. in creating that team ethos. Definitely. Definitely. I think even with with the Christmas engagement that we had for people who didn't celebrate Christmas, we still had areas of the engagement that they could still be involved in. Anyone mm. could bake, whether you're good or not, it's a different question, but <laughs> everyone could bake. So it's it's just about getting people involved. And I think for those people who may find virtual working, when, when you're new to it, it can be quite isolating sometimes. So having that engagement and having that support, I mean, with Sonsi, we have EAP, so we're able to, you know, give that external channel to kind of have that outlet if they are feeling isolated. But I do find that the trust that you build with your agents, they come to you when they feel a bit isolated or if they feel, you know, a bit left out or they perhaps don't like something. It's easy to be confident behind a screen. And then when they get on camera, it's, you know, you see the person and it opens up a whole different channel of communication. Do you find as well, because I, I always thought this and then I, I found some studies around it about how going back to the fact that you can choose shifts and go and do some stuff that you want to do at home so it's not all wedged into a weekend, that your team's work when they're working is, is, is better, is more focused, they're fresher. Because I know there have been studies that our, in, in a contact centre where we're just asking people to do an eight-hour shift that even the most committed people, and I can remember myself, I was committed, but by the end of the shift, my brain was just dead. This kind of being able to go, well, yeah, I want to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the gym mm. and then I'm going to do this. Does that kind of, do you see that in your teams? Definitely, 100%. Because where you are working from home, it pushes you almost to going, go for a walk or go get some air or you know, to do those things that perhaps you wouldn't do if you were sat in an office eight hours a day. And then, okay, after that, go to the gym, do the food shop. You have to cram so much in to a normal, normal work schedule. So it's, it's nice to have and to see agents where you can kind of see maybe they've had a difficult call, but they've got a long break coming up because they, that's how they've put their shift. They come back completely refreshed. It's like a new day each time. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, we we also did some work on the kind of the optimum shift length because people book in blocks. We have good data on right, how productive are you in an hour, two hours, four hours, six hours, whatever it be. You no, know, we've got some people that want to work three, 10 hour days where it allows, where it's possible. So we were able to say, actually, when we hit that, that mark of five and a half, six hours, you, you start to become unproductive to your point, Mike, it doesn't matter how dedicated you are. Yeah. You're, you're a person that gets fatigued and, you know, you're relentless, you might be calls, you might be a busy Monday. So we were able to look at it and say, right, okay, 
let's, let's try and talk to the team because you want to book it over six hours because you become not just unproductive, but fatigued. It's not good for your well-being. So, mm. you know, use the, the breaks in the day to refresh yourself. As Ellie said, go and have a walk with a dog, you know, go to the gym if you want, go and do the shopping or, or whatever takes your fancy during that day. Or you can, it's that life work balance. You can make it work for you and, and come back fresh. The utilization, without getting too technical, of our guys is a lot more productive than a bricks and mortar where they're not working that set eight hour shift plus the community beside. These guys generally walk upstairs, log on. 10 minutes before their shift, get cracking, log off, go and do something, come back on, log on. So it's really, they're really productive in that shit, those short bursts. Well, look, I think I've been lucky enough to spend some time with you guys. And today's just kind of strengthened that feeling that you absolutely have the right outlook, that it's people first, that even just your terminology, like life work balance, that has really come across today. So Ellie and Russell, thanks so much for, for coming on. Thanks for having us. Bye, it's been great. Thank you very so much. That was Ellie Barron and Russell Wilson from Sonsei. For any of your homeworking questions, get in touch with Sonsei, get in touch with Russell. I'm sure they'll be willing to help. It was great to have them on. Thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 145 of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by Ellie Barron and Russell Wilson of the homeworking expert company, Sonsei. They share some great experiences and tips 